Hey guys, welcome to Rankin' Vile, the podcast ranking every horror movie ever made. And this is Lillian. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? I am uh, knee-deep in comic books right now. I started a subscription box at my local comic shop. And nice. I started reading a particularly ghoulish book, Elvira in Horrorland. Ooh, what's the what's the picture? So Elvira in Horrorland is a spinoff of Elvira meets Vincent Price, which was a comic book where Elvira and Vincent Price discovered that each horror movie is its own dimension, and they would go hopping through different horror movies. Someone's been reading uh, my search history. Yeah, so, so this series is Elvira hopping through famous horror movies and making jokes uh, and and parodying the movies. So issue one is Psycho, uh, except they can't call it the Bates Motel, so it's the Block Motel after <laughs> Robert Block. Right. And uh, issue two is The Shining, and issue three is going to be Alien. Um, and it's surprisingly more than just a titty comic which mm-hmm. is what i refer to most of dynamites um because this is the same company that does the vampirella comic books mm-hmm. so really they're um just a vehicle for like drawings of boobs but it's actually really smart and has uh the kind of tone that mm-hmm. fits well with elvira yeah, honestly, Elvira teaming up with Vincent Price sounds right to me because, like, b- both of them are um, trenchant bisexuals, which, yes, <laughs> that's who you want traveling through horror universes. Honestly, I feel like, because uh, when I think of Alien, I think of Jonesy the Cat interacting with the Xenomorph. I feel like Vincent Price interacting with the Xenomorph would basically be the same thing, where it's just both of them being like, all right, you little freak, you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to do you, and I respect that. And they just kind of, you know, they kind of leave it well enough alone. So Lillian, what ghoul shit have you been up to? A number of uh, ghoul shits, <laughs> a number of ghoul shits. Uh, I, um, so obviously I've been um, doing gender transition for um, the last uh, couple of months. Um, and I was texting you about this, uh, but so obviously I have the um, the facial hair growth situation of Razor Ramon, and the problem with that is, you know, you sort of, it, it you know, you, you want to do something about it, and so um, my partner was like, hey, what if you tried using an epilator? And I was like, what's an epilator? And it turns out that it is um, a hellish device that is basically like an automatic tweezer. It's like shaped like an electric razor in the hand, but you turn it on, it's the, it's, it, it is... It looks like something that should have been banned by the Geneva Convention. Um, and I tried using it on my face, uh, which I got to tell you, like, I the fight or flight I had when this tiny, tiny grain thresher touched my, my sensitive face skin, <laughs> it was very sort of touch, nope, not doing that. Uh, so I guess the epilator won't work. Um, yeah, it's just been a lot of kind of moving stuff around in my life um, to accommodate this thing. Which I'm also realizing how much of it, like, I don't know, it's it's wonderful to actually be able to do stuff that makes me feel like a version of myself that uh, I, I don't yeah, kind of want to throw into the ocean. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's been extremely good. But I, I think aside from the ghoul shit that I've been doing, I've been buried in that Evil Dead video game they, they dropped for uh, PS4 and, and Xbox, Xbox and such. Um yeah, how is it? I haven't played an Evil Dead game since the PS2 one. 
Oh, that's right. Wait, first of all, how was that one? Do you remember? Uh, it ruled because it had an auto target, so you could do cool stuff like shoot deadites over your shoulder without looking at them. See, that's what you want. Honestly, um, I, I love, by the way, that uh, Bruce Campbell... You know, did the did the voice for both that game and then this new one, even though he was like, I'm done playing Ash. I, I there's I've retired the character of Ash. I will not do it again. And then it was like, ah, oh, fuck, they're doing a video game. Yeah, I'll say some shit into a microphone. <laughs> um, and the video game is a lot of fun. Um, but I, I, I like the fact that a lot of the controls, it's like it was kind of designed by somebody who doesn't play video games. Uh, which I, I sort of appreciate because of the jankiness of, you know, fighting deadites. Uh, and it's largely an online game. So it's you and three other yutzes um, trying to take down a Kandarian demon together. Uh, and nobody is on microphone. So it's about like watching three really lazy cats like poke at a bug until it dies. <laughs> um, so it's yeah, it's a it's a it's a lot of fucking fun. Uh, it, it's it's one of those games that you can tell was made by people who are like way more obsessed with this universe than you could ever try to be. Um, so yeah, it is it is extremely good. Speaking of uh, Sam Raimi, let's jump into the movie we're talking about this week. Uh, before we do that. Uh, I do want to tell our uh, listeners, hey guys, I know it's been a million years. We are going to be going on a summer vacation, and we're going to be on a bit of a hiatus uh, for a couple of months. Yeah, we've just found that um, a lot of stuff is going on right now um, in our personal lives, and uh, it is hard to do the show, and we don't want the quality to suffer, so that's why we're going to... Take a break, take a break, and then come back fresh faced and and be able to uh, record with you know vim and vigor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, honestly, I so we're we're going to be going on hiatus, but I'm also uh, over on our Patreon. I'm going to be doing uh, some other episodes with uh, some people to see if maybe. You know, it's not it's not going to be nothing uh, necessarily for the next couple of months, but on the show proper on on Rank and Vile, your friends at Rank and Vile, uh, we it's it's going to be it's going to be a couple of months while we kind of, you know, <laughs> deal with some life stuff and just kind of take a break for a bit. You know what I mean? Um, but we, we really appreciate you guys and we appreciate you, you know, waiting patiently for this episode and for just being the best fucking listeners in the world. Like, we really, really oh, appreciate yeah. you. Yeah, I'm constantly. um shocked that (laughs) (laughs) yeah that there are people who want to listen that i've met the nicest people that i've met through this show it's it's very humbling yeah you guys are you guys are the best so yep thank you for thank you for understanding uh speaking of disappearing uh off into the night without a trace let's talk about uh the movie we're doing this week which is uh sam raimi's dark man from 1990 this was uh two years before he did um Army of Darkness, and this was him creating an entirely original superhero. Yes. Now, what's really fascinating about this movie is it is a movie for an audience that did not exist when it came out. It is a hard R superhero movie when, at the time, the only superhero movies that were really out were Batman. And although you can argue that, like, Batman Returns is pretty dark, and if you've ever seen uh, Found Footage Festival released a video of, like, a talk show where children are talking about how awful, 
like the <laughs> how it's too dark, it's too scary for children. No parents should let their children watch Batman Returns. Uh, but still, it's really quite uh, macabre in comparison to the other super. What other superhero movies were there? Blank Man. Oh, geez, with yeah. Damon Wayans <laughs> around the early nineties. Pretty pretty slim pickings on the ground. Also, that that kid who was cutting a promo on Batman Returns is incredible. By the way, like watching that kid just be like, "I I should not have been watching this. I am a small <laughs> child." And Danny DeVito bites a man's nose off. Um, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I loved Batman Returns when I was his age, but I'm also like, "Yeah, you're. <laughs> this is not a kid's movie. He's not. It, he's not wrong." I do respect, I, I'm very much that uh, self-narking type of child. When I watched mm-hmm. media that I should not have watched, I immediately reported it to my parents. <laughs> I I rented Desperado as a, a wee bear. <laughs> Holy shit! How did you come into possession of Desperado? I had a cool aunt. I had a really cool ah. aunt that let me rent anything from the blockbuster I wanted. <laughs> but after watching that, I'm like, parents, <laughs> hey, besties, welcome home. I just watched a movie I should not have watched. Holy it shit. It ruled, but I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. And of course, we've, you know, on on the show before, we've talked about, like, sort of movies that we absolutely should not have been seeing at that age. Um but honestly, for me, it was that even if I wanted to keep it secret, I would have so many nightmares and knock on my mom's door at like two in the morning when I was a little kid. Because oh, I, yeah, yeah, which actually is incredible because Darkman is a movie that I saw when I was, um, I think it was on like cable or something, but I had forgotten that it was this movie that a thing happened in where uh, the, the heavy of the movie um, played by Larry Drake, who also played Dr. Giggles. Um, a, a movie poster that also terrified me as a kid. There's He's got this character tick where he likes uh, putting people's fingers in a cigar cutter and chopping off their fingers. And I really remember watching that scene when I was a little kid on, like, cable or something, and it really left an impression on me. So I yelled, like, holy shit, that was this movie when I watched Darkman for this. And it's weird in Anno Domine 2022 <laughs> to talk about cable because it's almost doesn't exist anymore. But cable mm-hmm. in the early 90s felt like the Wild West in regards to what the standards and practices didn't really exist. And R and PG 13 movies had very little editing done to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing Robocop on cable. Oh, geez. With, with yeah, where all the squishy, so like, where, all, where all the squishy bits left in? Yeah, like the mutant, uh, the guy who falls into the vat of acid and like turns <laughs> into a melty man, right? Completely intact in that cut, man. Which also in, in this movie, there's another open vat of acid. I feel like it's a real problem. Is just like open vats in things. Yeah, OSHA really was playing fast and loose in the night. <laughs> It was the Wild West for vats. If you were a vat maker during this time, you were riding high, you were snorting white lightning, and you were a god amongst men. Do you think there are vat fetishists like there are sand, uh, quicksand <laughs> fetishists? Because sure. there's quite a body of film where people, especially in the 90s, where people fall into boiling vats. For sure. And I feel like who it is is the guy in Batman Forever who does the line reading where he's like, oh no, it's boiling acid. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's a problem. Um, which also, okay, so Darkman, um, I hadn't realized um, Joel and Ethan Cohen did some uncredited script doctoring 
for Dark Men. Apparently, the Coen brothers, those Coen brothers, are bros with Sam Raimi, which also makes sense because um, Frances McDormand, who plays the love interest in this and was also um, Marge in Fargo and has been in fucking everything. Um, yeah, so there, there's a. There, I, had, I had not. I feel like such a, a fake film geek because I hadn't realized there was such a connection between the Coen brothers and Sam Raimi. Yeah, I didn't realize that until I was reading the show notes either. Um, what I really like about this movie is, so a lot of people will say it's not a horror movie. They'll say it's a um, science fiction movie, a thriller, mm-hmm. anything like that. But it's based off of the the vibe of a old universal classic monster movie. Yeah, for sure. Like he's, he's basically the invisible man slash the Phantom of the opera. Like he's, it's 100% that. And also, you know what? If Sam Raimi is directing your movie, I'm so sorry. It is a horror movie now. Like Sam Raimi doing the quick and the dead. It, that's probably kind of a horror movie. Uh, he, he kind of can't help, but be Sam Raimi in whatever he's making. And, yeah, and and can we just talk about how great The Quick and the Dead is? Oh, man, man, man. That is a movie that um, I hadn't ever seen until a couple of months ago. It was like two in the morning and I couldn't sleep, so I was just like, whatever, I'm going to catch whatever's on, like, I, Tubi, I think it was, and Quick and the Dead was there. Um, baby Leonardo DiCaprio getting his shit wrecked by Gene Hackman is just, it's fantastic. It's it's so good. Chef's kiss. Yeah. Uh, so Definitely. the plot of... Darkman, is that Liam Neeson is trying to make synthetic skin. He really is. And it, the problem is that he's it's him in a laboratory with a lot of open vats, and he's trying to cultivate in a Petri dish some uh, fake skin. That The problem is that he keeps being able to make it, but then inside of 90 minutes, the skin will dissolve. I wonder if this will come back around in the plot. Um, yeah, especially that they keep saying 90 minutes, 90 minute time limit, exactly. <laughs> also, they find out that when it's dark, it lasts longer than 90 minutes. Yeah, Man. yeah, because it's, fo- it's photosensitive. So I, I, I kind of like that thing that like, oh, I got to skulk around in the shadows. But also, it kind of doesn't make sense to me because I'm like, okay. So if you are a man of many faces and you've got a mask and you're hanging out in the shadows, why the fuck does it matter that you're wearing a mask if you're also obscured by shadows? <laughs> like, you know, the dark is a is nature's mask, really. Like, you don't need you don't need the extra. Um, so he's a scientist uh, who runs afoul somehow. Um, there is a large group of crimesters who are engaged in doing crime. Um, and they're all, yeah. Let's be clear. The movie opens with, with Durant and his goons killing people, not with the main character of the movie. It opens with a, a warehouse deal gone bad. Entirely unrelated to anything, actually. This, what it is is that you've got um, Durant, who's the heavy played by Larry Drake, the the late great Larry Drake, uh, and you know they're they're all in a giant warehouse. Which first of all, if you're a crime guy and you're not having this meeting in a warehouse, get the fuck out of my face! <laughs> like this is why. Also, we- 
Also, they are hiding cars inside shipping crates to then yes. drive them through the walls and shoot Uzis out the window. Oh boy, shooting Uzis, uh, some of which are disguised as wooden legs. Um, yes, which one is... of Durant's goons has a wooden leg filled with a machine gun. Yeah. Now, there's a line in this that I I have been thinking about like all week, which is, you know, they they're they're trying to do a, a crime deal, but it breaks down and then one of the thugs uh, named Eddie Black uh, says, "Nobody muscles Eddie Black, especially a bunch of dinks." And then a giant <laughs> gunfight happens. I just like that he called them dinks. Like that to me I feel like that's actually a great insult for crimesters because if I'm 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 a crime guy, you know, I'm running with all manner of scum bucket and and low life. I've probably been called a lot of things. If someone calls me a dink, I'm gonna pause and be like, wait, what? What did you call? No me? one calls me a dink. No one calls me a dink in my own warehouse. And you're pulling out an Uzi. Um, so we get, you know we we get a giant scene and then it establishes that Durant um, is a, a real mean guy who likes chopping off fingers with a cigar cutter. Um, that's the entire purpose of this scene is to set up Durant as, you know, a dangerous guy. It's just for this set piece where he cuts off fingers too. That's, that's (laughs) the whole reason because that also comes back into play multiple times throughout the film. Yeah. So then we learn about, uh, Liam Neeson's character, uh, who, who's Peyton Westlake and Francis, uh, McDormand is his girlfriend, uh, Julie, and she is a hard-hitting reporter. She and is. she's got the scoops to take the take the corrupt politicians <laughs> of this town down. Yeah, the, she's got the scoops. But the thing is that this movie is primarily a love letter to real estate. Um, <laughs> where so Frances McDormand, I hadn't realized that that was her job actually. That she was a reporter of some kind. Because so many of her scenes are her in uh, a bizarrely large office with um, sort of the man behind the man. Um, Durant is just the heavy for the main villain of the film, whose name I forget, who's... Louis Strack Jr., played by (laughs) Colin Friels. Bless you. Louis Strack Jr., (laughs) uh, which that's, I'm going to have to say his his full name every time, um, is just a little uh, little wiener man who... um, Every single interaction he has with Frances McDormand is, you know, her being like, all right, you better not be criming. And he's like, don't worry, I'm not. And he's, you know, got this uh, memo that is basically, I like that he's got concrete proof of bribery just on a helpful handout. Yeah, it's an office, inner office memo that says, I will bribe you. (laughs) That's the thing. And... Julie's like, I've got it. I've got the memo. You know it's mine because my doofus boyfriend put his cup of coffee on it and stained <laughs> stained it with coffee. Yeah, and so it's yeah, the Bellasaurus memo, which which is literally just like, you know, it's it's clear that this guy is doing a real estate on the town and he's doing all manner of crimes to do it. Um, and then for no reason that I can discern, him and his group of crimesters go, I don't like this Dr. Westlake. And I think he knows about the memor- about the memorandum and we should kill him. Can you explain this to me? Basically, it's that uh, 
Liam Neeson is dating Julie and they know Julie lives with him and has the memo. So Julie is out doing reporting. So (laughs) they show up and because they're, they're toughs, they just kill whoever they find, which is um, Liam Neeson and his lab assistant. (laughs) So they just show up and they're like, listen, man, my, I'm, I'm doing some killing tonight. I don't know who, and I don't know why, and I don't know when, Exactly. Whoever, it's a very, yeah. It reminds me a lot of The Crow in mm-hmm. that very 90s attitude of street criminals are everywhere and they will kill anyone just because they can. Oh, for sure. This is, I mean, that's a, it's a very uh, Reagan hangover, a rangover movie. Yeah, yeah. I've been reading a lot of Daredevil comics and it also oh, labors under the idea that there are just guys in Hell's Kitchen who are snorting PCP <laughs> and killing people just for the heck of it. Wait, is this the Miller Daredevil run? No, it's a and Nascenti. I don't fuck with. I pretend that Frank Miller um d- didn't write anything uh-huh. because he's just a terrible person. He truly is. I, I, that, that's kind of the thing is, you know, you really got to watch out if you're in Hell Kitchen, all the fucking ninjas. They just pop, lousy, <laughs> lousy with street punks and ninjas, and they'll pop out and wreck your shit at, at the drop of a hat. It's a real problem. Okay, so I know you're not uh, following uh, comics right now, mm-hmm. but I need you to know that Frank Castle, the Punisher, is now in charge of the the notable ninja clan and Daredevil the Hand. What? Why? He's not a ninja. He got to be President Ninja. It's not the gun. What the fuck? He doesn't get to be... No, fuck you, Frank Castle. You don't get to be President Ninja. I've never well, seen you pull fair, out nunchucks. Frank Castle was Frankencastle for a while, where he was undead and a Frankenstein. <laughs> God fucking bless. Honestly, that was my favorite thing to learn about the Foot Clan in Ninja Turtles, was that it was meant to be a riff on the hand from from Daredevil. Was They were just like, uh, the foot? Um, which is fantastic. Um, now they what what they do is they uh, dip uh, Peyton's face in acid and they blow up the lab. And I, I I need y'all to stay with me on this one. So they blow up the lab. It hurls Peyton Westlake so far from the lab he ends up in the river. They drag his body from the river and then at a at an experimental hospital. I think. Um, Yeah, they're just like, fuck it, we will kill all of his nerve endings to keep him alive. (laughs) And pump him full of drugs. And now he's like, got Hulk strength because his mind is bored from not having any um, tactile sensation. But it'll also make him go into like rages yeah uncontrollable rages like not having sensory input will make you turn into the incredible hulk and beat the shit out of people like a psychopath um and it's great because like first of all they scrape his they scrape the body of some rando from a riverbank and decide like i don't know let's do weird science on him and meanwhile francis mcdormand um believes that her boy is dead and even the grave there's a grave digger who's like i mean they only found an ear so that was super easy to bury tbh (laughs) Like, which is wild because it implies that there is less 
like work like they don't have to dig the same six feet if you're putting an <laughs> ear in the grave yeah that's that, that that's you would you would still want the ear to be pretty far below the earth ostensibly um but i mean yeah. if it's one foot per quarter of the body <laughs> that's there's got to be a yeah there's got to be math for this like if you find just an ear then maybe if you turn it vertically maybe he's just a lazy <laughs> grave digger he's i mean it's 1990 everyone was out of work um he now the thing about it is they do this weird science on uh peyton westlake and he breaks out of the hospital and just like runs away and find he goes back to his former industrial factory laboratory and all of his stuff is, like, burnt out, but still works enough that he can, like, print. three. He's basically 3D printing skin, uh, masks yeah. and gloves. Yeah, masks, th- th- that's what he's all about. Um, and honestly, so he tries going back to his and Francis McDormand's old place. Um, I feel like if you are going through some shit from The Crow, if you go back to your former life and there's not a shattered... Uh, portrait of you and your family on the ground were you ever really killed at all <laughs> like we need we need something to communicate an idea to these to these people um and he realizes very quickly that you know he can't really be around polite society anymore because of his murderous rages yeah he he goes on a date with julie and he's like look i've only got 90 minutes don't ask me why <laughs> Don't ask a lot of questions. Um, he goes on a date with her, you know, and is just sort of like, oh, I've been through some stuff. I'll tell you all about it, I promise. But for now, let's go to the scariest carnival in the world. <laughs> the most nightmare-fueled carnival. <laughs> where they're just screaming about freak shows. <laughs> Man, there's that's incredible. Is They've got, you know, he's trying to show her around and live a normal life. And this is where I think Sam Raimi does his most Sam Raimi shit in terms of, like, camera work and weird zooms and... This is the most Sam Raimi scene, except for the other scenes that are very <laughs> Sam Raimi scene. Yeah, he was really feeling his Sam Raimi oats. Um, this and he... movie is really Sam raimi Yeah, it's like Sam Raimi hyper-concentrate, where all of his peccadillos and idiosyncrasies are given, like roids like he's really just able to kind of go for it um and he you know we get liam neeson uh, at this carnival there is a uh, carney who um you know there's a bottle toss game and he's trying to win a stuffed animal for francis mcdormand and then he like rockets a, a ball through the things and he's like all right give me the thing and the guy's like yeah you were you were standing over the line fuck you and it sends him into a rage because nearby there is a carnival barker who, in all caps, is just screaming like, we got a freak! There's a freak here at our freak show if you want to look at a freak! And we we find that the word freak is kind of a trigger word for Darkman. Yeah, and he he uh, hulks out and says, like, give me the goddamn elephant, and, like, beats the shit out of the guy. <laughs> Which I also yeah. love, he hands Julie this elephant is like, here you go. She's <laughs> <laughs> Here, like, I don't want this. The, it's incredible. Not at that cost. It's like that. Honestly, this just made me think of the bit from Octodad, uh, Dadliest Catch, where 
your wife is trying to talk to you about how, like, there's something weird and you're hiding something from me and I don't know what it is. And the mission objective is, like, you know, you're at, like, an amusement park thing and it's, like, win prizes at skee-ball and give her a stuffed animal and that'll make her happy. And it's, like, <laughs> it's, like, that but with body horror. Um, yeah, it's, like, listen, if I give you a bauble, you will leave me alone. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and during all of this, you know, Julie uh, is having kind is is she has she been romantically involved with I'm sorry, can you say his full name again? <laughs> his full name. And I quote. I got to pull it up again. Mm-hmm. Lewis Strack Jr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she, she's been kind of dating Lewis Strack Jr. since Peyton got fucked through a warehouse wall. Yeah, but but she's like, listen, Peyton, um, it's it's not serious. We just talked. We didn't do anything. Yeah, just late hours at the office with me asking about mysterious memos and him saying there's nothing to worry about. That's primarily how we flirt is. Um, actually, speaking of Batman Returns, every scene between Francis McDormand and Louis Strack Jr. Um, reminds me of Michelle Pfeiffer and Christopher Walken in Batman yeah. Returns. Where yeah, it really is of a time. Yeah, for it's like neighboring. Like if you could do a double feature of just like, you know, I kept waiting for him to like threaten to push her out a window or something. Um, and he says a thing to her at this uh, masquerade ball thing, um, which where he's uh, he says, unfortunately, there's no cure for grief, but there is a treatment that eases the symptoms. It's called dancing. <laughs> <laughs> sweeps her into a waltz at this thing and it's like i i i don't know that that was the coen brothers but i feel sure in my heart that this was the coen brothers you know it's like how um we look back at comic books from the 60s and you can't really tell what was jack kirby and what was stan lee like who came up <laughs> with what they're they're always arguing it's still like a collaborative thing mm-hmm. but you kind of get a you get a hint you're like i think that's him yeah a, a susan of of cohen um and so peyton is working his way through much like the crow um which also much like the crow he goes back to his former digs and there's a cat there that he was bros with in life, but only this cat is just like, go fuck yourself, dark man, and runs away, which I love. Um, yeah. But he starts, you know, kind of making his way through the rogues gallery to, you know, get revenge on the people who uh, killed him. And the I think the dopest death in this movie uh, is, uh, Ted, is Ted Raimi's death in his role. Oh, for sure. Can you walk us through what happens to Ted Raimi? So Ted Raimi is the trigger man. He's the guy that shoots William Neeson's character and like throws him in the vat and all that stuff. Right. He, uh, he grabs him and holds him up where a car runs over his head. Yeah. Like he's, you know, they're down in the sewer and he's just like poking his head up like the world's least lucky uh, groundhog to get his head clipped off by a truck. Uh, so this leads to the next murder as as Liam Neeson works his way up the goon ladder of Polly, where he takes photos of Polly and makes his photorealistic uh, mask and gloves, mm-hmm. then gets Ted Raimi's character a, a suitcase uh, that has his clothes in it and a passport and makes Polly 
uh, frames Polly for running away, embezzling gang funds and running away to like Acapulco. Right. And he's unable, he's like, I've been taking a lot of naps lately and <laughs> I very much identify with Polly waking up completely disoriented oh, <laughs> and yeah. saying i i must have overslept what's wrong and everyone going no you you've, you've done it's, horrible things yeah just waking up disoriented to a room full of of, of people who are gonna kill you um he i mean we get a lot of uh sort of face swapping uh stuff which is really great because um dark man's superpowers uh are like inability to feel pain i guess and also is a gifted impressionist um and he does that to polly he he fucks polly over he uh wears a durant costume and we get the sam raimiest goof uh scene of two durants um running around in a revolving door as all the goons aim at them with guns and both of them going, no, it's him, you idiot, shoot him! And just, you know, just slide whistle noises playing. Which um, I love because Darkman does not have a voice changer. He's just, <laughs> it's Darkman's <laughs> voice. Yeah, that's actually my thing, is like, why wouldn't he just be like, yeah, yeah it's me, Peyton, you know? And like, I don't know, he... Uh, we we they never really you know give Larry Drake the voice of Liam Neeson, which I feel like is a missed opportunity for sure. Um, so now we get to the part of the movie that owns fucking bones. Um, <laughs> There's so much Julie of this movie is, owns bones. Yeah, that's true. Julie is with uh, with Strack, and <laughs> finally realizes that. He's got the memo mm-hmm. that has the coffee stain that Julie's boyfriend, Liam Neeson, left on it. So she's like, wait a minute. How would you be able to get that? <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, um, I am the big bad. Durant just works for me. Which is astounding, this scene to me, because it's the two of them standing in the usual office where they have conversations about how he's definitely not doing evil real estate. Um, and he walks out of the the room for a minute to have a conversation that sounds like what I, as a child, imagined adults talked like, where they're like, no, don't sell, buy. Um, and she just literally, it's not even hidden or under anything or in a folder. It is just right the fuck there on the desk. And she just literally looks down and goes, oh, shit, that's the memo that proves you've been doing evil. And he comes back and he's like, yeah, I might have done it. Um and she it's it's so wild because every month at work IT comes down and they say do not write passwords or sensitive information <laughs> on pieces of paper and leave them on your desk and this is the one thing Strack just does is you know, writes down. It's like IRL fishing, honestly. The fact that he <laughs> it's 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 a lot. Uh and he sort of confirms that like you know, you can't break, uh, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. I'm doing evil real estate. This is actually really cool that I'm doing this. And does she run away while being like, bye? I'm, does she threaten to expose him? She threatens to expose him, but then he's like, goons, get her. Right. And then we get, by the way, Peyton, um, dr- uh, who is disguised as one of the goons, who's like a like stringy blonde goon. Um, the image of a stringy blonde goon getting the shit beaten out of himself by himself, who is yelling, you have been a bad boy. 
is just <laughs> that's some psychosexual shit. Like that's 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 a David Lynch nightmare for sure. Yeah. Um, so we get this scene where Julie is is kidnapped by the goons. Darkman chases the goons to his warehouse, and then it's like the uh, trope of like you're in my playground now, right. and all the goons get owned because they're tricked with masks. He's he's the phantom of the warehouse. Um, and, and I mean, this bit is completely in Raimi's wheelhouse where it's like big. And it's a thing that I really appreciate that when it's somebody's face and they're wearing a disintegrating mask, like it looks like that actor, but like a rubbery version of that actor. Yeah, um, like there had to be some actual mask work and it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, like the effects in this, um, we should say, are just fucking outstanding. I mean, they look like effects that would be in a 1990 Sam Raimi movie with a little bit of money behind it that wasn't solicited from dentists in Michigan. <laughs> like, he was actually able to kind of get his shit in. Um, and so he, you know, dispatches the goons. We get, so the third act of this movie is utterly unhinged. Um we get a huge helicopter scene uh, where, you know, Durant is flying a helicopter and Darkman is dangling from a rope uh, at the attached to the helicopter. Um, and they are trying to get rid of him by dipping him down into traffic and swinging him into buildings. Uh, and shooting a grenade launcher at him. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that, by the way, that we get, like, huge swaths of this highway getting blown to shit because it's just Larry Drake popping off willy-nilly with a grenade launcher. Which, imagine your insurance claim where you're like, <laughs> I was driving down the interstate and a grenade launcher blew my car up. You know what? I feel like if that that's if that pops up on your insurance, it's like that's act of God shit right there. Okay, <laughs> Larry, like Doctor Doctor Giggles in a helicopter with a grenade launcher ruining my commute. That's not on me. That's this could not have been avoided. And you know, so he the scene is incredible because we get so much slapstick of Dark Man like being lowered into traffic and like running on top of cars and going whoa 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 whoa, uh, and eventually. Finally, he attaches the helicopter via rope to a semi-truck that's going through a tunnel and explodes the shit out of uh, Durant and dispatches everyone. So he takes down, you know, Durant and he's ready to take on Lewis Strack Jr. Um, this, honestly, the, the climactic scene takes place in a big developing building. I appreciate this movie's commitment to, like, real estate horror yeah, it's it's all in the name of the new waterfront. You know that he's up to no good because it's a glass model. Man, that's honestly as somebody in LA who uh where where I used to live in Echo Park, like there was this huge glass eyesore like high-rise condo for rich yuppies that went up right next to my building. I I bear a grudge against like glass buildings that pop up in areas. Uh, and, and yeah, it's it's some villain shit where, you know, you've got Francis McDormand is held sort of hostage and you get uh, Strack. It's OK. The central conflict at the heart of this movie is kind of weird to me. I don't I, I killed you because I'm building a city. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, wow. it's it's really not even that. I think that what's so um, what makes Strack such an evil villain is he doesn't really even care about Darkman. He's like, you were in my way, 
so I killed you because I'm a Machiavellian style villain. Right. So I can't really be bothered to care about you. So fuck off and die. Yeah, which is incredible to me because he wasn't even in your way. He was just a guy making skin and petri dishes. This was was some dude. Like, it wasn't even like he's a brave whistleblower who is going to let the people know about what you're doing over at city hall like he's just a guy with an assistant who wants to make skin and and let's like, talk about the poor assistant who just gets murked <laughs> oh my God. dead they are m- murderized um and so you know you've got strack sort of delivering which is also weird because uh so it's great because it's the two of them sort of leaping from beam to beam while he's monologuing uh, and Strack, uh, my favorite thing is that he opens by saying, you truly are one ugly son of a bitch, which <laughs> is just an outstanding fucking delivery. Uh, and he starts telling him that, like, I'm Mr. Real Estate and I'm going to do it. And then he's like, you could join me. I could use someone like you. It's like, are you just like cycling through the Rolodex of villain things to say here? Yeah. And, and by the way, we need to give a shout out to Nelson Mashida who played Yakatito, the lab assistant, mm-hmm. who just dies for no good reason. For no ass. Or, I, which is why, to me, this is a horror movie. Because, and I feel like in an action movie, they're less likely to just be like, whatever, fuck you, random assistant. Like, we needed to pad... Although maybe, no, actually, I take that back. Action movie, that is an action movie thing. But the brutality of it is not an action movie thing. That's some horror movie right. shit. Right. The brutality is horror movie. Also, in an action movie, that would spur the protagonist forward. And the protagonist <laughs> would be like, I'm doing it for you, Yakutito. In this movie, Yakutito is never mentioned again. Yeah, it's not like, oh, the, my poor assistant, they only had two years left until they got health insurance or whatever. Like, it wasn't even... Uh, I was gonna, I was he gonna... only had one more credit to get his... <laughs> I was about after 50 years of faithful service, I was going to give them a group on like it was just <laughs> they just fucking die. Uh, and, you know, Strack delivering this monologue about, you know, how I'm going to do it. Um, he loses track of Darkman somehow, who then like leaps on him from above like a jungle cat. Um, and this fight scene is pretty great. Uh, he ends up dangling Strack over um, the beam by his ankle. And Strack is, you know... Strack delivers a thing where he's like, ha, huh, you, you can't kill me. You'd never be able to live with yourself. You, you, you have a conscience and you would feel bad. And I also want to be like, Strack, if you'll review the footage, he decapitated Ted Raimi in a sewer. Like, he's kind of okay with killing people at this point. Yeah, because turns out that's what he does. He kills him. Yeah, yeah. He's you know he's he's a he's a guy called Darkman who lives in an abandoned warehouse and makes faces. Uh, it's just a wild gambit to be like, ha, you couldn't kill me, guy who makes faces in an abandoned warehouse. <laughs> uh, so because he kills Strack, he's like, fuck, I can't go back to my normal life. That's too complicated. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Julie. Don't try to find me. And Julie is like, no, come back. And then the last shot we see is uh, Bruce Campbell um, dressed (laughs) up in 
the dead the dark man clothes running away which is great because you know like he's he sort of delivers this thing where he's like ah you know i can be anyone i'm dark man and she's and, and it's really incredible because she's the one who's like no it's dude i'm actually totally cool that you dropped strack up like 30 stories to his death i'm fine with all of that uh, you know, underneath all of uh, this, uh, all of these prosthetics, I bet you look like a young Liam Neeson. Like we could make it work, and he's like, "No, we couldn't possibly." Uh, are, are we led to believe that it was him offing Strack that crossed the moral event horizon? I think <clears throat> this is one of the few times in this movie that I think just simple it needed to happen for the plot is the reason that it happens. Like uh-huh. it's the setup for the sequels. It's like, look, yeah. he can't be happy. Yeah, for sure. We're not getting like County Alderman Darkman, who's like putting on a, a, a face to go to, you know, PTA meetings. He, uh, you know, she's looking through the crowd for him and yeah, we get a like five second Bruce Campbell cameo of him sort of looking over his shoulder as Darkman and being like, ah, you, you don't know that it's me and walking away. Um, side note, if I could grow a Bruce Campbell face in a vat and then wear that all day, I would 100% do it. Yeah, totally worth it. Dysphoria be damned. I would see what Bruce Campbell looked like in drag. (laughs) Um, and yeah, and that's the, that's the movie. This movie, um, I, the thing is, the question of, is this a good movie or a bad movie is kind of irrelevant to me. It is the most Sam Raimi movie to Sam Raimi. Yeah, I it's it's every if you like Sam Raimi movies and what he does, this is for you. Like it's a a good example of a Sam Raimi movie. I think a lot of stuff in the plot doesn't really connect for me, but that's also okay because it was, you know, it's 1990. He's trying to get some kind of superhero thing going. It makes me wonder what a Dark Man remake would look like in 2022. You know, I was thinking the same thing because Sam Raimi made the new Doctor Strange movie. Yes, he did. And everyone's like, heck yeah, he's doing that. So, like, give him Darkman 4 because yeah. it's not like he's got to get Liam Neeson to do it. You can literally just say it because voices don't matter in this universe. <laughs> it's just a guy with the fa- that can have whatever face you want. Yeah. And I mean, so much of this movie is actors pretending to be Liam Neeson, pretending to be themselves. Um, don't even, you know, don't even worry about it. Uh, I, I feel like this is not okay. So let's, let's dig into it. Right. So uh, at number 55 on our list, we have uh, evil dead two. Um, I feel like I want to give the edge to evil dead two over dark man. Oh, most certainly. And and at number 124 is Army of Darkness. Oh, definitely and going with although that. Although Darkman is a madcap romp, it is not it does not have the one-liners mm-hmm. and the charisma that Bruce Campbell has in Army of Darkness. That it feels like a crazy thing to say because Liam Neeson does bring the thunder as Darkman, but I was missing like a Bruce Campbell in a movie like this. Yeah, and then to have him show up at the end is kind of like to rub it in your face. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been me this whole time. Um, I, I will say Liam Neeson uh, freaking the fuck out as uh, Darkman when he's going through one of his weird rages. Um, it's pretty great. Like, it's it's him definitely. I think this is pre, like, I'm an action movie Liam Neeson. He was a weird little guy in a weird little movie at this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
it's 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 something that we will never get again. Even if there is a, a remake, we could never have the the remake that no one wants <laughs> besides <laughs> you and me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't think it's anything that can be captured again because we can't travel back to 1990 and that that particular time period and like you know stink in the air oh sure yeah that that 42nd street stink you know like we're not uh under threat of uh street punks and crimesters anymore so it's you know it's a a a bygone era um scrolling down the list a little bit uh at number 176 we have videodrome which every time I see how far down the list we have Videodrome, I'm like, what the fuck? How did, <laughs> how is Videodrome at 176? But that's probably fair. Um, do we feel like Videodrome is better or worse than Darkman? I think Videodrome is better. I think that um, Cronenberg is trying to say something. I don't know how well he says it at the end <laughs> of the movie. I think he kind of fumbles. Mm-hmm. But um, he's, you know, saying all this stuff about media. And although there is some like kernel of statement about like identity Mm -hmm. and that it's really just a classic monster movie. It's trying to be a mad scientist universal studios film for sure. Uh, And and it does it, it does it very well, but I think that the message of Videodrome is a better more noble uh, endeavor. Absolutely. And I, I do think that, like, Darkman is a very, like, sort of slice of, like, 1990. Like, this is an this is a hard R movie that, you know, it, it, it does what it does well, but it's not, you know. It's Sam Raimi kind of stretching out with a little bit more of a budget and seeing what he can do rather than, you know, Cronenberg with a bunch of movies under his belt trying to, like, say something about media and technology and whatever. Um... Scrolling down the list, uh, Quincy, at number two thirty nine, we have the Beastmaster. Um, how do we how do we feel about Beastmaster versus uh, Sam Raimi's Darkman? Here's the thing about Beastmaster: there are are Draculas that just space Draculas <laughs> that just show up in the middle of this movie for sure, and that's something that uh, <laughs> the Darkman does not have. It's a real problem. We, they've and got suffers crimes. greatly for. <laughs> It does. Crimesters are not equal to Draculas, in in my estimation, at least. Um, now here we go. At number two, here's here's where I think I would draw my 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 hard limit. At number two forty eight, we have uh, the remake of Thirteen Ghosts with Matthew Lillard and Tony Shalhoub and company. I feel like uh, I want to give the edge to Darkman. Yeah, but just barely, because right mm-hmm. above that is the pilot episode of Gargoyles. Oh shit! Yeah. And that is more 90s. <laughs> if if the contest is what is the most 90s thing, Gargoyles beats out Darkman. For sure. And both of them are really great examples of uh, this thing is way more brutal than it has. It's going harder than it has any right to go as a, as a thing that's ostensibly for, for maybe kids to watch. Because <laughs> um, you've got, yeah, full on homicide in that Gargoyles uh, pilot. Um but yeah, I think that's that's where I would that's where I would stake it. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that's a good spot for it. Yeah. So coming in at our new number two hundred and forty eight uh, above thirteen ghosts and below um, the gargoyles uh, two part pilot episode awakening is Sam Raimi's Dark Man. Um, and I Quincy, where is the streaming? Did you stream this? 
Uh, I actually own this on uh, video cassette. Wow. <laughs> well, it's on VHS. Yeah, so just go get this on video cassette, which I honestly is, I think, the right format for watching Darkman. There's also a Blu-ray trilogy. It's not an HD Blu-ray. I think it's just because Blu-rays can fit standard definition movie, more standard definition movies. It's like we squeezed all of them on one disc. <laughs> I mean, the other... The That's other, available, too. <laughs> the other sequels do not look good. They don't look good. Um, but maybe that's... I don't know. I, I, You know, I say that... One of them is called, like, Durant Returns, so Larry Drake gets to pop up again. So good for him, I guess. Uh, but yeah, so uh, go, go, go get this on VHS. Do yourself a favor. Um, Quincy, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Our listeners can find us uh, constantly... Uh, posting nonsense on Twitter at Rankin Valcast and constantly posting about VHS on uh, Instagram at Rankin Vile. Fuck yeah. Uh, check us out over there. We are just about everywhere podcasts uh, are. Um, since we are going to be going on a little hiatus uh, to, to, you know, kind of maybe get some sun, just get our electrolytes like so right. Um, Send over any movies that you want us to maybe talk about when we come back to rankandvilecast at gmail.com. Um, and, you know, when we come roaring back, we're going to, you know, we want to have a bunch of material to talk about. Uh, but, yeah, once again, um, guys, we love you and we will uh, we will we will be back. Yeah. And if you want to help us with the uh, ever dreaded algorithm, um, if you can tell your friends, we have a pretty extensive back catalog. If you want to tell a new person to listen to the show, or if you want to review us on your podcast app of choice, that does actually help us. Oh, episodes for days. We've been doing this since 2020, 20, what, 16 at this point? Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> it is. Yeah, we've, we've, we've watched some movies. Uh, at this point on our list, uh, we have now done 554 movies. <laughs> by god movies um so yeah so go uh, go listen to some of our other material and uh we will uh we will be back uh, before you know it but uh that is that's about uh, all i've got you got anything else stay spooky later folks <laughs>